Welcome back, everyone, to Clerics Ring Mail, the podcast. Today, I've collated all of the entries and submissions into our 2022 Spring Slash Summer Contest, a monster conversion for my birthday, and it should actually come out pretty close to my birthday, but we won't bore you there. Moral of the story, I'm going to read a couple. I got some text submissions. I got some voice submissions that I will play on the air, and I will put in some commentary in between where appropriate, but for the most part, the purpose of this episode is to let the caller, you, the participant, voice uh, your process in the conversion of monsters from one system to another. So, with no further ado, and in no particular order, let's give it to the callers. And finally, responding to your conversion contest, I've decided to port over the Purple Dragon from Mindweave into Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, the Purple Dragon is, well, in Mindweave, dragons are interesting. They're much, much larger. They can be, grow up to 2,000 feet long, right? Whereas the largest thing you see in AD&D is, I think, still under 60 feet. And so the Purple Dragon is a sea dragon. It has tentacles and it spits acid. So I'm going to start with a black dragon template. And we can just inherit the entire dragon class. So that saves us a lot of work. Um, as a sea dragon, it ought to have a swim speed. I ended up opting for the hippocampus swim speed, 24 inches. Could have gone a little faster with something like a gar, but I think this is good. I'm keeping the black dragon's hit dice. And then I'm replacing... We're going to have to do a second call here. I'm going to replace the claw attacks, which do not seem to scale at all on the AD&D dragon as it goes up in age. But I'm going to replace it with one time per age, so one for the youngest and eight for the for an ancient dragon. Um, one attack around tentacle attacks, which I'm modeling off the giant octopus. So they're capable of constricting and doing double damage once they've constricted. Uh, its breath weapon is going to be... I was thinking about going with the Onkag breath weapon because that's more true to what it spits in Mindweave. But we're going to stick with the Black Dragon's Acid Stream instead of just the Acid Glob. And the Bite Attack can stay the same. Um, in Mindweave lore, it's been given a much lower chance of speaking, no magic use. And that's, uh, that's pretty simple to port over. I, I thought about going with high hit dice, but I'm going to stick with the Black Dragon hit dice. Thank you, James, for calling in. And also, thank you for putting this onto the Mindweave blog. Now, this happened a little while ago, but I saved the URL when I saw it, so I will link it also in the show notes. Uh, During the beginning of the contest, when James had made this call-in, he actually performed this conversion and then posted some other information online in written form. So, if that sounded interesting to you so far, as it did to me, having uh, forgotten what was said in this message after the past two months of not recording this episode, (laughs) then head over to that link and take a look. Thank you again, James, for calling in.
let's get into an entry from the Discord. Uh, this message came in from Ozarker. He was one of my first, actually, uh, May 25th, early on in the competition. But he writes to me with his official entry into the Spring and Summer Transitional Period Contest. Converting Monsters. I have a few ways I will typically handle monster conversion into old school essentials. One, the bear method. I read an article in a zine a year or so back and it recommended that with the majority of monster conversions, just using your system stats for a generic bear is typically a pretty good bet when you need to get something fast. And at that point, you're left with just copying over monster abilities. Or two, standard conversion. In a lot of cases, you want to transfer over a monster stats accurately in order to reflect a particular difficulty, challenge, or combat experience. In that case, I try to work as closely with the system I'm converting into as possible. For armor class, I will typically do a one-to-one -one since I choose to use ascending AC and most modern systems use the same. If they don't use AC, I will use 10 for something easy, 15 for something challenging, or 18 for something difficult. Luckily, BX and its clones, there are saving throw matrices that allow for easy saving throw generation based on your hit dice. For HP, I will typically just convert HD 1 to 1. If I am converting from a system without hit dice, I will divide the monster's hitch points, hit points. Yeah, I, uh, that's me messing that up. That's not him typing it wrong. <laughs> I will divide the monster's HP by 6, and that will give me the number of HD I need to roll. For two hit bonuses, I use the monster's HD as the modifier. If the monster has 6 HD, it would get a plus 6. I struggle the most with movement and will typically use a best judgment call by combining the creature's size and perceived weight. I always use the movement matrix provided in OSE to give me direction. Number appearing is also challenging since most systems that fall outside of the OSR lack this statistic. I'll leave this up to better judgment and try to imagine the creature in a natural setting. This takes into account its size, intelligence, the type of creature, and comparing it to anything that might be similar in the real world. Which I remember reading the same article, and I've used the same... Uh, I'll, I'll see if I can find it, but this, ep this episode is taking me forever to bring out, so I may not link it. <laughs> but I remember I've read the same article talking about using the stats of a cave bear. And then uh, Ozarker follows up. <clears throat> Lastly, with XP, I will use 25 times HD, blah, blah, blah. I don't do that. Um, <laughs> to conclude, I think the most important part of the conversion is to maintain the feel of the monster in your description and how you play the monster, and the numbers are secondary. There's a degree of truth to that. Experience is more important than uh, accuracy. Uh, he nominates, uh, in the event that he wins, uh, the Paragold AR Children's Home, which, uh, Ozarker, thank you for providing the link. And going to that link, the Children's Homes, Inc. is a Paragold Arkansas-based organization whose mission is to provide help, hope, and home to children and families since 1955. It's a faith-based organization specializing in residential educational care, foster care, and adoptive care. Yep, that is without doubt a worthy cause. Thank you for submitting it, and thank you for submitting your entry. Converting Monsters.
well, I guess the easy way is to use a cobalt from 5e versus a cobalt from 1e BX OSE if you're running that type of game. But I guess you're probably wanting something more sophisticated. And actually, probably the easiest thing is if you find a cool monster in one system that's maybe not D&D, is to convert it back to a BX or a D&D style format and then convert it up to, um, you know, if you're playing 3.5 Pathfinder or 5e, convert it back up. Um, if it's not like something you can just look in a monster manual from that um, game system and use that version of Giant Spider or whatever. I guess a challenge would be honestly converting it to something not D&D. And that would be maybe to like Savage World. Um, I've seen there there is a Savage Pathfinder now, and there are some interesting ideas in there. For example, um, having huge creatures, more or less like more or less dragons, have five wounds instead of the normal four before you get incapacitated, and actually they have a four wound maximum. Um, for any hit, whether it's a, on a player character or on a monster. And that way, um, you don't kind of get this lucky one shot of a big dragon, I guess, is the idea behind that. So that would be a challenge, though I wouldn't want to do that in sort of a design, from a design perspective. Guilty as charged. I am uh, a big fan of the Coffer Corpse over the traditional zombie. <laughs> Admittedly, that's uh, AD&D to basic D&D, but that's beside the point. Talking about the kobold, that's not a bad idea, just finding parallel monsters and working with them. It's the similar to the cave bear protocol, mm -hmm. but has the added benefit of subtle differences. My initial thought when you said kobold was well, certain editions view them differently. So from 3.5 on, they're more lizard-like, more draconian in their nature, whereas in OSR editions, they're more dog-like. I remember reading somewhere there was a correlation that was originally going to be drawn between kobolds and gnolls, similar to how goblins are drawn to orcs. But that's neither here nor there because that's not a flaw, that's a feature. That's what you were talking about when you said deriving alternate creatures based on how they operate in other games. That's a, a great, I, I agree with that, that's a great way to introduce some flavor and uh, your players are going to expect something, they're going to try to metagame on you and boom, you're going to hit them with something documented. I like it. Hey Taylor, I guess I forgot to mention the charity so I will hear. I think if I were to win, the donation should go to the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Um, I was drawn to it. Um, it does help talk to people through mental illness about mental illness, but I did like the fact that it's a grassroots organization and an advocacy group uh, for people are created by members, family members of people diagnosed with mental illness to remove those stigma to get uh, those people who have mental illness help. And it also has a like a local affiliate. So uh, perhaps there is one 
in your area uh, that you could donate to. So I think of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And again, we have a PDF entry that was sent to me via Discord. Let's see. The PDF is entitled, uh, the PDF comes to us from Boss. Uh, that's how I'm pronouncing it. So if I get it wrong, you can uh, type me the correct pronunciation. <laughs> but the PDF is entitled Horrible Mistake. Okay, here we go. Uh, we have a what appears to be a Warhammer stat block uh, of the 40k variety. We have the Necron Warrior. It has this movement, weapon, and ballistic skill, strength and toughness, wounds initiative, all that. Uh, well, that's fun. They put move. They've put uh, movement back in. That's uh, that's big. I like that. Uh, haven't played Warhammer 40k in oh lord, probably six, seven years. I used to play a lot more than I do. But so we'll get back. Uh, people care about boss, not me. I decided to translate the Necron, Necron Warrior stat block from 40k to generic OSR. I've tried to stick a bit to the AD&D Monster Manual formula because I think that it'd be interesting and might also be something I could eventually use myself. It also adds a bit of intrigue and extra implied options, especially if you were to roll high and decide to use them in some kind of war game as a result. Humorously, uh, this is me interjecting, uh, Boss has joined the CWR Discord and has been playing Chainmail with us a lot lately, so maybe this is, uh, maybe this is serving him right off the rip. You can have the Necrons come in next time you're going up against those mercenaries and the druid folks. Don't think they're going to be able to stand down those Gauss cannons. But we continue. To me, Necrons have a few defining features. They're tough, they're hard to kill, and will shrug off most attacks. Even when you kill them, they might get back up. They know no fear. Even as the warriors beside them fall, they will keep on going with whatever command they've been given. They're not fast, they don't attack particularly well, compared to other enemies, but their sheer, mindless determination is what makes them scary. Tried to overemphasize that by just not dying, by making their attacks less potent, but making them tough. So, for reference, in 40k, the Necron Warrior has a movement of 5, a weapon and ballistic skill of 3 up, strength and toughness of 4 each, 1 wound, 1 attack, a leadership of 10, and a 4 up armor. Save. In Boss's conversion, Necrons have Frequency Rare, number appearing 20 to 80, sounds like a uh, skirmish army, armor class as Plate, movement 5, hit dice 3, uh, percent in layer 15, number of attacks 1, uh, however their 2 hit is as though they were 2 HD lower, so they attack as a 1 HD creature, 3 to 9 damage, uh, no special attacks, uh, special defenses, they're immune to morale, immune to mind-altering effects, immune to poison, and reanimation. In one to three turns after being taken down, they have a one in three chance to stand back up. Total obliteration or keeping the parts apart prevent this from occurring. Standard magic, resistance, average intelligence, evil alignment, medium size, and no psionic abilities. Metal skeletons that stare at you with luminescent green eyes as they walk towards you, a strange energy weapon in hand. No one knows what they are or what they want. 
All anyone knows is that they come from the tombs deep beneath the earth to abduct people and drag them back, kicking and screaming, down there, never to be seen again. They are silent no matter what happens, their movements entirely mechanical, as though they're a marionette of an unseen force. They carry in their metal claws a glowing crossbow-like weapon that fire beams of energy that annihilate what they touch. Should the players get their hands on such a weapon, they will find that it has 1d20 rounds left before it is depleted. For every 20 Necron warriors, there will be one leader, colloquially known as an immortal, with four hit dice and two attacks. If 50 or more are encountered, they will be accompanied by a lord, which has six hit, hit dice, two attacks, and does not have the attack efficiency reduction, he did, so he attacks as a six HD creature. This lord has a 25% chance of having a magical weapon instead of the energy weapon, and as long as the lord is within five inches of a Necron warrior, the Necron warrior has a one in two chance to reanimate instead of the standard one in three. The Lord will have two to eight bodyguards, which carry large shields and melee weapons, stat as immortal, and for each 20 Necron warriors encountered, there's a 10% chance of a cryptic, a spelled C-R-Y-P-T-E-K, so a crypt egg, a Necron mage accompanies them. If so, this has four HD and cast spells as a fifth level magic user. Uh, Necrons use flying ships to transport themselves over large distances. If encountered outside their lair, there's a 20% chance they're moving in one of these, in which case there will be one of these ghost arcs for each 15 encountered. These move at the speed of medium cavalry and carry larger versions of the energy weapons. Three attacks each, three to nine damage, to hit as per the wielder. That is interesting. Uh, that's a good... That is an interesting conversion, and that would be right in line with some of the oldest of the old school modules. We're talking about stuff like the nuclear weapon at the base of a certain undisclosed and thus unspoiled module that came out as part of the early OSR. We talk about the energy weapons, the lasers and the robots in a 1970s, 1980s, unnamed and likewise unspoiled uh, expedition. So I think they fit, they fit right in depending on the tone of the campaign you want to do. And those skiffs, uh, I know for a fact I've seen them at least, uh, I've seen the concept at least once before. So well done. I think that that would work. And uh, you could stat uh, based on the AD&D block you got there. I'm pretty sure that would actually be pretty easy to adapt into a chainmail game. Thank you for entering. Thank you for the PDF. And the mistake wasn't quite as horrible as you made it out to be. Hey Taylor, this is a direct son and coming at you with my carrier pigeon entry to your stats conversion contest. And uh, this is too easy because my system of choice is knave. And basically all you need is the hit die for a monster. You have a three hit die monster. It has a plus three to attack. It has three plus 10 armor class if you're doing ascending AC. And that's pretty much it. You're good. You have a knave monster. Adjudicate the actions. You're done. Uh, you can donate to cancer research, please, if I win. Cheers, keep up the show, bye. I don't know if I mentioned this in my Nave conversion message, 
but uh, saves and I guess difficulty checks and like armor class and all that are can also be uh, converted from the monster's hit die also. And it's just as easy, you know, you have a three hit die monster, then, you know, it's ascending armor class is three plus 10, so you have to hit a 13. Uh, a save that, you know, it would have you make or whatever uh, would be, you know, 13. Um, and that's it. Very simple. All right. Bye. I believe OSR D&D, or at least basic, operates on a similar principle. Based on the monster's hit die, you can derive a boatload of stuff about it. So your, your Thaco is effectively 20 minus hit die. Your saving throws are as fighter of hit die, typically. But it is not quite that simple for armor class. But, and there are variations among the saving throws depending on the monster type. Nave, definitely simpler. And this is the part where I apologize. So I swear I got another entry. I swear I got something from somebody on like a DM on Twitter in... We're watching uh, somebody mowing the lawn on the TV apparently. But I swear I got an entry in email or in Twitter DMs or Facebook or somewhere, but I cannot for the life of me find it. I know uh, good, good old Jeff, you had given me an entry after the fact. I was going to include it anyway, even though it was a little late. I cannot for the life of me find that one either, but I don't know if that's the one I'm remembering. I don't know if there's another one that came in. And honestly, with the amount of movement that's happened at my house in the last month, um, I don't know if I've missed another one too. So we'll finish up with... Uh, uh, Jason Prime's entry, uh, which will come up next. But if I failed to enter you, if you sent me one and I did not read it in this episode, please send it to me again. Please ping me about it. The same mechanism you did before, because I remember seeing it. I just don't, I just can't find it now. And this is on me. I'm. Um, a uh, lesson learned on uh, contest organization. I will make it right for you. And again, I apologize. Calling in quick about my conversion of the Amphisbana. This is the two-headed snake with a head on each end. I converted it from 3rd edition on some SRD, I believe. And then I converted it into low fantasy gaming for my Sin Eater uh, adventure. And you actually fought one. Uh, when you were playing the Lost Lake. So the cool thing about it is they attack with both heads. They can um, poison you and do con damage. Uh, and also, even if you use a major exploit to cut it in half, it then is just two separate pieces, which was also part of the um, the third edition version. But in low LFG, it interacts with the mechanics in a way to give it a little strength against major exploits. And lastly... Uh, it can quiver in a paralytic nature that can stun or enthrall people. So there you go. Thanks, bud. Bye. Lost Lake. I will put a link to that playlist and that episode. Or maybe just the playlist. In the show notes.
that's it. It's also super cool. It's such an awesome place to be where you've got familiarity with the mechanics of a system to the point where you can swap pieces out like that. One of the cool parts about some of the lighter OSR type games or some of the mechanical intercompatibility between different OSR type games, you know how basic flows into Lamentations, flows into uh, Rule Cyclopedia, flows into Axe, flows in and so on. The cool part about that is it facilitates that kind of interchange and that interplay. That's very cool to hear about the thought process that went into that critter. competition uh, or lotto <laughs> as it may be so we ha I had a total of six entries six at least that I was able to find again I apologize about that uh, potential number seven but again uh, the important part is six entries means I have a perfect opportunity to roll a die with 12 sides so I put them in order on the episode mm kind of kind of alternate back and forth between calls and not calls to try to break up the sound of my voice but we will roll this and we'll count 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 into the order in the episode and let's see let's see where we can go wow the video on that is garbage what is this oh, oh here we have it number 3 1 2 Three, that's our second entry, Ozarker, who submitted the Cave Bear Solution, in addition to some other stuff. So, Ozarker, I will reach out to you on Discord the day the episode drops. Wouldn't want to spoil it for you. And, in the meantime, I will make a donation to your charity of choosing. That is the Children's Homes, Inc. Uh, of Bentonville, Arkansas. long enough to get out but we are out there in our contest completed in the bag oh, I do have some other call-ins uh, but I think this is a good place to end this episode let it have some focus and get it out there get me back on the air after a bit of a unintentional hiatus and taking the moment I want to thank everybody who called in. I want to thank everybody who's listening. And I want to thank everybody who participated in the competition. It's uh, all for a good cause, all for uh, good fun. And until the next time we get to talk, delve on. Clicks Wearing Mail podcast is an independently owned and operated product released for educational and informative purposes under the Totally Steal This license, which is kind of like Creative Commons, except for licensing. Segments recorded within a vehicle are recorded using a Bluetooth hands-free device in conjunction with local vehicular safety legislation. The music for the Clicks Wearing Mail podcast is Gold Coffee by Michael Ramirez C, retrieved from Mixkit.co and used under the Mixkit royalty-free music license. Sound effects used in the Clicks Wearing Mail podcast are also retrieved from Mixkit.co and used in accordance with the Mixkit-free sound effects license. Clicks Wearing Mail does not ascribe to nor endorse views or opinions expressed by call-ins, guests, or even the host, unless you think they're awesome, and thus does not assume any liability regarding the consumption or distribution of this podcast. By listening to the Clicks Wearing Mail podcast, you agree to these provided terms. Parties with questions regarding these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to reach out to Clicks.
Square email at the prescribed methods provided on the Cleric Square email blog. Parties dissatisfied with these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to go suck an egg.